Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and I don't suck, and neither does the Pipples podcast, but anyone who plays the Riders, they suck. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Let's go, Rider Nation. I'm ready. I'm ready. Welcome to the Piffles Podcast. That's Arcana Kings with Here We Go. And Kurt Angle is right. The Bombers suck. I still don't understand how that hasn't caught on yet. Right. They've been doing for, what, three seasons now? And no one has started chanting, you suck. They need to put it up on the Maxtron. You suck, you suck. And get people chanting. That's how it'll work. This, This is the Piffles Podcast, your Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan podcast. Thanks for joining us on your favorite podcast platform, viewers on YouTube, and of course on SaskTel Max On Demand. Thanks for joining us. My name is Alex. I'm Steve. And I don't even have a funny name today because I am tired of talking about headbutts, but here we are going to basically do everything we can to talk about butts. And a lot of lots um, of butts. Of the head variety. Uh, that's going to kick variety. off the show here. That's right. Um, we give us we a don't have Amy on, on the show it- we don't have Amy on the show anymore doing the the best looking players thing, so it's just head. Body wool. Yeah, well, that's a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Ray Elgard when you need him? Um, <laughs> give us a follow on X at Piffles Pod. I'm at Real Alex D. You can find me at Safamod. And as always, I do not need nor want your pity follows at Greg on Sports. Facebook.com slash Piffles Podcast. And of course, the website PifflesPodcast.com. Piffles Podcast brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Check them out. Get your pumpkin pie blizzard uh, as those are back. And and the apple one too. Don't, don't forget about the apple. Apple everything in the fall as well. So good. Do they have the apple pie blizzard again? I love that thing when they had that. I think so. I think so. Oh, I don't know. I went there last week. I, I had to get the pumpkin pie one, so I, I did that. I did the I did the pumpkin pie as a victory uh, blizzard after the game on Sunday. It was delicious. Good choice. Good choice. Even in early September. Um, well, we're going to talk a lot of headbutts here. Uh, we're going to get that going and get it out of the way. Let's jump to the opening kickoff. All right, so we're going to talk about the Riders' 32-30 overtime win, thrilling win in the Labor Day Classic against the Bombers in a minute. Let's get this out of the way, guys. Pete Robertson, the headbutt on Zach Kalaros. Um, I think we can all agree that the headbutt itself was absolutely stupid. Emotions got the better of Pete Robertson. And, like, I, I don't even know what to say because there was chirping on both sides back and forth all game long, which I love. I love the fact that the quarterback, Zach Caleros, was in the face of Derek Moncrief and vice versa. I love that. I think that's great for the game. You can find a way to market that. It just, it looks awesome. It humanizes these guys and it just shows how emotional that the game is, especially a Labor Day Classic. Emotions got the better of Pete Robertson after making a big play, knocking the ball down, gets in the face of Zach Caleros, gives him the head, but Caleros 
hits the ground. Obviously, it's a flag. Before we even get into well, the suspension talk, what do, what do you guys? Yeah, okay. Well, go ahead, Greg. Let, let's talk about that first. The officials didn't call it. That call came from apparently from up top, the old eye in the sky, which. Like after seeing the replay and the officials there, I'm surprised they didn't call that immediately. But then again, I'm not saying they were letting the guys jaw and go nuts, but they were definitely letting some leeway go, especially with the rivalry, so to speak. But the fact that they didn't blow throw a flag themselves is almost comical. I hate I hate to admit that. I almost sound like a bomber fan by saying that. Oh, that's why Steve was <laughs> Steve dropped out here. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really notice what was happening um, live at the game until we were wondering why there was a delay and, and whatnot, and Zach was actually on the ground. Okay, well, I didn't see him get hit during the play because I started looking elsewhere, and I just happened to miss it. Again, done by Pete Robertson, but he has no history of, of anything like this at all. And I will never say that he's a dirty player because he's not. Um, I just think emotions got the best of him. They ended up getting the flag, um, eventually thrown. Bombers ended up getting a touchdown there instead of settling for the field goal. Um, but let's get to the suspension part. Oh, as Steve comes back in, possibly. Um, Steve, we're going to start talking about the suspension part here. Um, and one game, I'm surprised that it happened so fast. I'm surprised that the suspension came in on Labor Day Monday. Shows to me that the league, yes, is acting quickly, which is good, but it also seemed forced because there was a lot of talk on Sunday night and all of Monday about the hit. So it almost felt like they just had to do something, and that's what they did. But one game. So one game for Pete Robertson. Guys, is that a sufficient enough penalty? Absolutely. For a guy with zero history, zero dirty play, he had to get something. You can't headbutt a guy intentional or otherwise and, and get away, especially if it's a, a starting quarterback. One game is perfect. I don't think you do any more than that, given CFL precedent. And also, I think that one game almost ensures it's not going to be um, appealed. If it was two games, he probably was going to appeal. It was more than that. One game is kind of the sweet spot, takes Pete out of that game, because Lord knows if he was in that game at the Banjo Bowl this coming weekend, it's probably going to be a gong show and it's still going to be a gong show regardless. I think uh, tempers are going to be heated. Uh, you guys are going to enjoy yourselves with a very wild game. I'm sure uh, being there live. My, my, my issue with the entire thing was yet was kind of what Steve just said. It's because of the quarterback and this is what we do. I think regardless of the player, and Davis Sanchez kind of got ripped over over the open coals about this is because he said it should doesn't matter if it's a quarterback or not. And he's right. Absolutely. That was an intention. That was an intentional act by Pete Robertson. 
and it was wrong. It shouldn't matter if it's Zach Caleros or Dustin Crum or any other player you can name. A victim, and I'm using air quotes right now, history shouldn't matter. Yeah, Zach's got injury problems. Who cares? I'm sorry. It uh, it sucks, and it, if that was the way Zach's going to go out, 100% that sucks. But it shouldn't matter. The act is what is the problem, not the outcome. And too many people lose sight on that. Here's my issue. But in the, the CFL, when you're talking about. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. In the CFL, though, the quarterback does matter. And you're going to see that time and time again. A hit on the quarterback is always going to be seen as a bigger deal than a hit on a running back, than a hit on an offensive lineman. That's never going to change. And you're going to see different penalties. Whether you should or not is a whole different story, but that's never going to change. We all know that. See, and, and my issue with the suspension is not that it's a one-game suspension, not that it's Pete Robertson, not that it involved Zach Caleros, not that it involved the Riders, not that it involved the Bombers. Big blanket statement here. Something like this, which is a non-football play. If the CFL, the league itself, is serious about player safety, which I think we've all learned over the years, they're not. They don't give a crap about player safety. then this needs to be a bigger suspension. Now, of course, that needs to be negotiated in the CBA and it all kind of has to you know, be agreed upon with the Players Association that, yeah, you can suspend a guy for four games or whatever the number is. If you're serious about taking stuff like that out of the game, you have to throw the book at someone. Obviously, it wasn't going to happen here because, I mean, again, first-time offender, a guy who's never had any kind of history with this. But... If that, if that happened to anybody, if that happened to Jake Dolagalo, which, I mean, he did actually take a helmet-to-helmet -helmet shot in this game. But if that happened to Dolagala, I can guarantee you that Ryder fans would want more than a one-game suspension. I can guarantee you that. So look I at, just think... Look that, at Zach Caleros. Yeah, Zach Caleros has a right? Ryder. Yeah. That, like, that's all you need. That's all you need to remember. It just, it, and like I said, I... I, I, I do, I get it. I understand the guttural emotion that comes with being a fan and caring about your players. But it has, it cracks me up that the minute this suspension came down, all Ryder fans were like, okay, we can move on now. Everyone leave Pete alone. Simone Lawrence is enemy number one in Saskatchewan for a player who no longer plays with us. Which also happens to be Zach Caleros. Yeah. Can can we looking at that as a whole, can we stop the whataboutism crap that happens anytime a rider does anything wrong? All we I hear for the could. next week or two is what about Simone? What about this? All we've seen all week is what about the hit by um Jeff Code or Jackson Andrew Jackson. Harris yeah. ripping a helmet off? Cut it the hell out. I don't care about what happened three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. Point out something that happened this season? Sure. Okay. But even then, look at the situation that you're dealing with and deal with that. Stop trying to go make it seem like the league has this big anti-rider conspiracy because they don't. 
this is this is a team that props the league up. Do you think if anything, they would have the opposite effect on this team if they could? Like just 13th, cut it out. Thirteenth man won an award, the CFL awards. That tells you what it's the only fan base to win an award at the actual CFL awards. That tells you what the how the league thinks about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So yeah, we kind of need to stop. What I would like to see, and uh, Leonard on our Facebook page made a really good post about this. It was a very balanced take to it, which I really appreciated from him. Um, just want to see some consistency from the refing or from the league when they hand down suspensions. Like you look at, I know we're going back to 2018, but Jackson Jeffcoats launching his head at Brandon Bridges' head. You look at Odell Willis taking out Zach Claros. You look at Simone Lawrence taking out Zach Claros. Uh, like there's, there's no consistency whatsoever. And I think that's the biggest problem that people ultimately have with this is that there should be a big blanket thing where in a non-football play, if you go and you target somebody's head, whether it's a headbutt or kicking them after the play or whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is, that is an automatic four-game suspension or something, right? There is nothing like that. There needs to be something like that because that's going to deter players from doing it again. You don't think that, okay, one game, if, if the next game is kind of meaningless, and you get a chance to take out a, a player that you can possibly see in the playoffs, why wouldn't you do it? You need to deter that from happening. And that has to come from the league level. And I think that's that's what needs to happen. I'm fine with a one-game suspension. I think it should be more, but I think it should be more based on not this act itself, but just as a whole. I agree with you to a point, but because we have learned anything about CFL officiating and punishment in general they 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 can't organize it like they can't they can't organize a two-car parade if you give them the marshall car that is the problem with it right now because how inconsistent is even just roughing the passer in general at one point a guy's hand hits a helmet immediate penalty meanwhile zach caleros got basically cold cocked on the ground earlier this season nothing yeah like it's at some point, they need to the league and the officials, and we've got some really good officials here, and they they have a hard job. But we need to start dialing that in, or these inconsistencies are just going to keep on creating these conspiracy theories for everybody. All right, so Robertson's not going to appeal this. He's going to miss the Banjo Bowl. Um, back to the Elks game. I mean, I would have appealed it just to play in this game because they should be able to beat the Elks without him. But whatever. Good on him for for owning it, which is what he did, um, and taking the punishment and moving on. So I wish we could all do that, myself included. But I like they're going to keep talking about this. This is going to be the big storyline going into the game on Saturday. Um, TSN is going to make it a big thing on Saturday for pregame. Like that's yeah, it's not going away. It would it would have been worse if he was in the game. This was actually smart for him to not be in this game because you know someone is going to take a liberty because they feel they have to. Well, and and that's Craig, not good for anybody. 
and Craig Dickinson mm-hmm. said it in his post game, um, was that this is what the Bombers do. They try to goad you into things, and they're very good at it um, to the point where they might push to the edge, but they're going to push you over the edge and make you take the penalty. Uh, so I, I think that's going to be the Bombers' plan to start the game is to really ride those emotions and try and get the riders off just based off that. Just get them off their game plan and have them focused on on that. So I hope um, that the discipline of the team, which has been great this year up until the last kind of game or so, I hope I hope Craig is sitting down with the guys and saying, listen, this is what Winnipeg's going to do. Do not act on it. But that, that we'll save that for when we talk about the Banjo Bowl. Let's, let's talk about the game itself. Actually, can I say one thing, though, before we move on from this? And no. then we'll never have to talk about this again. I got to say admit, one more thing. I'm going to headbutt you next time I see you. Okay. I will take that, I'll take that risk. I got to admit, the players, uh, Micah Johnson immediately looked at Pete Robertson going, what the hell? And Anthony Lanier on the sidelines was giving it to him with both barrels, basically telling him what a mistake he made. The players were policing themselves on this. And that was good to see. That was great leadership. They, yeah, they're they they're holding each other together on this. And that you, you're seeing this team come together. So, And on the flip side of that, I, I, I hate to give props to a bomber player, but I'm pretty sure it was Brady Oliveira. As soon as that hit happened, one of the old linemen started going after Pete Robertson and yeah. several bombers, including I'm pretty sure it was Oliveira, jumped in saying, don't touch him, don't touch him. We got the penalty. Don't do it. And stopped the bombers from taking a 15-yard penalty for retaliation. And that, to me, is a big difference in, in this game, especially, was we took those liberties. They seemed to be able to stop themselves. And that's something that can't happen if you want to beat a team like Winnipeg on a regular basis. You need to play smart. You need to play on the edge, but not over it. Side note, I love Brady Oliveira as a player. I wish he was a rider. <laughs> Just throwing that out there right now. Absolutely. Man, he can rip them off, and he is tough to bring down when he gets going. My goodness. We saw that a few times in this game. Um, okay, well, let's let's talk about the game. 32-30. The Riders winning, moving their record to six and five on the season. Um, Nothing's easy. Nothing is easy. I mean, nobody expected this game to be easy anyway. Um, but I love starting the game with the onside kick, catching Winnipeg off guard. That was brilliant. Oh, that was so good. You have one shot a season to be able to make that work. And they timed it perfectly. Lothar's done this before with the short kick. He knows exactly how hard he has to tap the ball to get a go to go exactly 10 yards and then to get in front of it and kind of shield the ball uh, from the bombers having to come back is, is brilliant. And I loved seeing that. I love the deep pass immediately after which MLS should have had that hit him right in the, oh, right in the stomach, right in the numbers. Um, right in the but numbers. I love, I love the aggressiveness in this game. Say basically saying, you know what? We're not going to win by giving them the, the ball. We need the ball. And that's how we're going to win this game. And that was the philosophy. And I mean, it set it set the tone. And to me, other than that three plays in this in the second quarter, the Riders absolutely dominated that first half. There was a time I looked up 
at the max draw and they had the receiving stats on the board. Winnipeg had one reception for two yards. I saw that stat. I, and, and that I reception was just a was just a pitch toss forwards. They had and nothing I, that was completed past the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and I thought about it. I'm like, I know the Riders have been playing really well, but I didn't realize they were playing that well at the time. And then, of course, three plays later, 90 yards later, the Bombers have a touchdown. Um, I missed that. I missed that series. <laughs> I went to go get uh, food for my kid. And then I'm like, what just happened? Yeah, it was very quick. It was very quick. Yeah. Um, now, Zach Caleros, does he get bailed out by his receivers more than anybody else in this league? Like, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, he's made some really good throws and put it in places where only his receivers could get the ball. But they're making some really good catches. Nick Dembski, uh, Wolitarski on his touchdown. That Nick Dembski one hand where he, he basically, he missed it. Like he tapped it back to himself to catch it. The one on the sideline. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then that and diving was, one, like just ridiculous. Like there was the deep ball that was massively underthrown that I don't know. I can't remember who caught it down inside the five came back to get it. Like you're right. He, Zach Caleros was off through most of this game. He was bailed out hard by that fairly talented receiving core. Uh, Jake Dolagala let Jake cook. Uh, they did that again. Greg, I know you're going to roll your eyes at that one. Okay, uh, okay, here we go. That as, as, a, as, a branding <laughs> guy, as a branding guy, Jake Cook does not work. Can we at least say let, let Jake bake? It rhymes. It's catchy. We already have What's shake happening? and bake. We can't have Jake and bake. Yeah, we can. There's only room for one. It's like the no. I'm with Alex club. on this one. It's the are. no homers club. You're allowed to have one, and we have our shake and bake with Keen Schaefer Baker. You can't have Jake and bake. I'm gonna start thinking about other things that rhyme with ache. Um, but let's talk about Jake Dolagal in this game. I thought he was excellent again. Um, even when he was missing some of those deep throws, he was missing them overthrown. It wasn't underthrown, which tends to lead to interceptions. It was to the point where nobody was anywhere near it, which is, I mean, an incompletion there isn't a bad thing. Um, I love that they're trusting him to go out and make plays, that it seems like the entire playbook is at his disposal. Uh, I love that he's trusting his receivers to go out and make plays. And that's exactly what's go what's happening is we're seeing these guys make plays downfield, which we never saw in 2022. And to me, that's the biggest difference between the two teams. Um, and the outs that he can throw. You look at that out route to Mitch Picton. Uh, the bomber receiver tried to, or the defensive back tried to undercut it. And it ended up being just in the perfect spot. And Picton had a big 31-yard gain, set up more points. Like that was, Jake can throw those outs, those long outs. He has a cannon of an arm. And that's how, and it, they did a lot of them in this game. And that's what beat the Bombers, in my mind, was those throws. And that that arm of, of Jake Dolagala is a, a positive and a negative. When you see those overthrows, you, you look at it and go, well, that's that cannon of an arm. Sometimes he puts too much on it. But then you look at those out throws. I don't know how a guy can get in front of that. He he reminds me very much of Brett Favre with how he throws the ball. And that's with one speed. And that's full 100% heat on it. 
he throws a fastball and nothing else, your receivers better be wearing pillows because it's going to hurt. And it works for those short plays. And the way that they're moving this offense right now, we need a guy that can gun those in there. And he might just be the guy. Well, no, Jake's got two speeds because we've seen this change up before. Going back a couple of games, some of those rainbow balls that I was DMing you guys, I'm like, these things scare me because they are like pure arcs. Like he needs to find that touch. I think if he can find that touch, he's going to be very, very good. Because like, yeah, you're right, though. That that fastball's always coming and it's always coming hard. <laughs> but yeah, he, whenever he puts a touch on, it's a, a full rainbow arc and those get scary. Because then those are jump before, balls. Before the game, when you see a bunch of players walking down the sidelines, tossing balls to fans, I hope they never have Jake Delagala doing that. He's going to put some kid. kids in the in the hospital with with that <laughs> cannon of an arm. Because it's he he just that it seems like that's all he knows how to throw is either cannon or those arc balls. Even those they were cannons, they were just mostly up. And he, every time he throws those arc balls, I'm expecting him to yell jackpot. We're playing five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the one thing that kept Jake going though, and they deserve a lot of props is the offensive line, the offensive line that has been absolutely decimated by just hate from fans, us included, um, over the last couple of years, they're starting to grow and they're turning into a pretty decent old line right now. Um, I'm really impressed with Logan Furland. And I know we've been saying this for the last year or so, but when Colin Kelly went out with his injury um, and it sounds like he's gone long-term possibly done for the year with a knee injury, they kicked Logan Furland out to tackle. He didn't look out of place at all. And he's going up against Jackson Jeffcoat and Billy Jefferson every single play. And those guys didn't really get any, any kind of pressure on, on Dola Gala. And Evan Johnson, who we've been extremely tough on, um, tough this one out. He was hobbling pretty bad there with his foot injury at the end of the game. But the O-line really did a good job, and it didn't look like they had guys injured in this game. So props to the Riders' O-line. This is what we've wanted to see. We can live, like I've said it many times, I can live with the growing pains of an offensive line if it shows growth. Now we're fighting, finally starting to see that growth. And if you're giving your quarterback time, Dolagala is finding his second, third, fourth reads. They're going to start, they're winning games because of it. And don't get me wrong. I It sucks losing Colin Kelly. I love the fact we had four Canadian offensive linemen out there and none of them looked out of place, especially kicking Furlan out to the outside. And I know I've been banging his drum since he came into this league, but he was a stud uh, tackle for the Regina Thunder. And they coached him right because he is so good. And I know we're going to be talking about who's pro- probably coming back right away. But Furlan's in a great spot. He's going. He's our best defensive lineman. If he's not our most outstanding offensive lineman nominee this year, I don't know who he is. I'm, I'm going to do something I never thought I would do recording this show. I'm almost disappointed that it looks like Evan Johnson might miss the game next week. We, we were really, really hard on him for the last year and a half, with good reason. He looked like hot garbage. He was, he was the obvious weak spot on that O-line. But over the last, I want to say, four or five weeks, 
I don't know that there's been a weak spot on that O-line. They've been able to work together and actually build themselves as a unit, and it's shown success. You you look at the last few games. How many they gave up? Was it two sacks? Three sacks against a really really good defensive line in Winnipeg. And Evan Johnson played on half a leg for most of that because he got hurt. Was it two plays after Colin Kelly? And you yep, could Kelly see went down him. and immediately he was down. Yeah. yeah. You could see him. He couldn't put any weight on that leg the way he was walking around. And he walked up to the line and I went, oh, God, we're screwed because they're just going to bull rush him. And of course you do, right? You've got a, you got a guy on half a leg. You're going to bull rush him. And he held up. And he held up for the rest of that game. And now that the story coming out that he's hurt just gives me more respect for the guy. I hope he's healthy and I hope he can play this week. And I never thought I would say that. Well, and, when he when he was obviously limping, the people in my section were going, "Well, what they do? Like we already lost Kelly, Bandy's playing." I'm like, "Debeer's gonna have to change a jersey, and we're gonna see how that goes." But we never we never had to do that. We never had to do that. So good on Evan Johnson for gunning himself through that game. I think and we got a little lucky that that injury happened real close to halftime, and he could kind of rest it over halftime and come back at least at. 80%, 90%, whatever it was. Rest it. Come on. You know he got the same uh, treatment West Cates got in the 2007 Grey Cup. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I was going to go Varsity Blues. <laughs> yeah. He, he I was don't want your rest. life. Yeah, Just rest. Was, That's he, all it was. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, O-line has all of a sudden kind of become, it's not a weak spot for the Riders anymore. It's starting to become a bit of a strength. Um, and it's, and it's great seeing that. Um, I want to go to the bombers in overtime. Um, first off the touchdown set up by Morrow. I love that the team is getting Morrow involved in the passing game. Um, cause I think he's so versatile and, and able to do that. Um, but the bombers answering back right away with, one hell of a throw from Zach Caleros. That throw to Kenny Lawler was perfect. Um, Sheldon and Travis um, from the uh, from the Two and Out podcast were sitting right behind me. I looked at them. I said, "That's the best thing that happened to the Riders in overtime because now they only have to make one stop on the two point convert." I'm there with you. I said the exact same thing. I'm like, "That's Kenny Lawler. He's like, that's one a game. That that's exactly what's going to happen. We just need to stop the two point." That's yeah, and and that's it's, so instead of having to stop them three times in a row, um, they they made the one play, and it was a great play by Jackson Ford to tip the ball at the line of scrimmage on a on a blitz, delayed blitz, um, making the game winning play and the ball going incomplete. Um, that was that was excellent. Like the the drama in that game, the emotions, the there was a lot of Bomber fans at this one. And it was such a great crowd. The crowd was hot. Like that was that was a good Labor Day crowd. Like the last couple of years, it's kind of been missing with the lack of bomber fans coming. But now, with them with them showing up in the by by the bus loads, it looked like um, that was a fun Labor Day classic. And yes, it it will go down as a classic. Can we Can keep I say- the five o'clock kickoff forever? I love five o'clock on Labor Day. You had all day to get primed up for that one. 
and it felt like an entire game, like a, a game day again. It wasn't just you know wake up at ten, go to, go to the game, and off you go with a one o'clock kickoff. I mean, we had we had a group together for breakfast at nine a.m. Went straight to tailgate afterwards. It was an entire day of Labor Day football. I love five o'clock kickoffs for this. Please don't change it next year. I am begging you. Note, note. I loved about this Labor Day is they they did the bilingual anthem and it confused the bomber fans, so they couldn't <laughs> do their stupid yelling during the anthem. Oh, or when that, they yell at true, so true North. Yeah. True North, they, they were very confused. They didn't know when to do it. They got, they, <laughs> they, got, they got their blue out there, though. Yeah, I saw that. I, I wish they wouldn't do that the, during the anthem, but I, I hate that's it. Another I hate rant. It. That's no another rant. That's another rant. Who does it? I hate it. Um. <clears throat> so, again, Riders win thirty-two thirty. It's going to set up uh, one of two things in the Badger Bowl. Either it's going to be a close game that the Riders are going to win, or else they're going to get blown out. We're going to talk about that uh, in a little bit. Um, I want to talk about uh, two members of the staff here for a couple minutes. I want to start with Craig Dickinson. I've been probably the toughest person on Craig Dickinson in Rider Nation. I don't know what has changed. About it. <laughs> I don't know what has changed over the last couple of weeks, but whatever he's done with this team, I absolutely love. They have trust in the players to go out and make plays. And that's something that we haven't seen. We haven't seen them open up the playbook like they have, the coaching staff. And now they have. And look what's happening. They're scoring lots of points. They're winning games. I don't know if Jeremy O'Dane went and said something to him before the BC game and said, hey, the bye week's coming up. There's a lot of pressure on you to win this game. I don't know what was said. I don't know if anything was said. I don't know what changed, but something did in the philosophy of Craig Dickinson. And it's great to see because this is exactly how this team needs to be coached. They are out there flying. They're out there to hurt people, not literally hurt, but be physical. And I love that. We've seen the tone set on special teams to start games. TJ Brunson against BC. Um, they're out there to just hit you and let you know that, like we're here and we're not just going to play hard. And that's always been one thing. And I saw this on Twitter, Robert Sala, head coach of the uh, Jets, had a speech about the biggest pet peeve he has as a head coach on hard knocks here. And it was him saying, when you're not a good team and you go up and you do a handshake with the head coach on a good team and he comes up to you and says, you guys played hard. Blank you was his response. And that's exactly it. We don't want guys that play hard. Yes, you do. But you don't want to be labeled as a team. Oh, they played hard. No, 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 no. We're here to mess you up. And I love that. They're, that's what they're doing here in Saskatchewan. You, you know, there was a perfect spot. There, there was a perfect spot that, to me, describes exactly where the change has happened in Craig Dif Dickinson specifically over the last few weeks. One of my issues with him is he's always seemed very timid and quiet on the sidelines. You don't see a lot of fire out of him. You don't see a lot of emotion. He's just, he, Greg's always talked about that look on his face whenever they show him on camera. 
there was a moment right after I believe it was the Nick Dembski uh, one-handed circus catch, and all I remember seeing from there was a Bombers fan or Bombers player about thirty seconds later come flying out of the Riders bench, and Dickinson right after him, absolutely livid, and screaming at that player, at the ref, at everybody he could get his hands on. And to me, that was the first time I'd seen any real intensity out of Craig Dickinson. And it didn't, it didn't change anything on the play. There was no flag thrown there. You know, whatever he was pissed off about, they didn't correct it. But to me, that was the difference. You've, you saw intensity from your coach. The players are going to play for that. They see a guy that's that fired up. How do you not get as fired up as, as your head coach? And I don't remember ever really seeing that from him. So, you know, we've been hard on Dickinson. He's earned his props. And if this is what we're going to get going forwards, I'm okay with him as our head coach. Lord knows I've called him the Ken Miller you, you order on Wish. Like, he, he he was always the, I love my guys. They're, they're going to play hard. And, you know, he's trying. He's having troubles, but he's going to be fine. He seems to have more of an edge in the last, especially in the last couple of games than he's had before. And I don't know if it's the pressure on him or if the criticism and the songs about him have finally gotten to him, but he has flipped the script and the players are buying in and you can tell like those Typically, those um, game ball videos, I used to like, okay, this is this is dumb. I'm not going to watch these. The players are buying in. They're hanging on his every word and he's handing out game balls. This team is buying in, and that is good. That means this team is going to play for each other, and I can't wait to see how the season ends. The, the real question, Alex, when do we get a sequel to your, your, your parody song? Because there's got to be one coming soon, right? Uh, if they win Badger Bowl, I'll think of something on the way back. <laughs> um, oh, you're, you're gonna be you're gonna be having a headache on the way back. Probably, um, and that's just listening to Steve for a day. Um, but with Ouch. Uh, you, but Steve, you mentioned that these are the you know the players are playing for them, and that brings me to the next guy I want to talk about, Jeremy O'Day. This team has depth. When you, we started the season, we looked at the at the roster on paper. Starters look good. Question was the depth. And with what we've seen happen this year between injuries and everything else, this is a good team. They have very good players. And people talk about Toronto, talk about BC, talk about Winnipeg. And, and they're good because they have the depth, that next man up thing. The riders have that. They finally have that after the last couple of years. And the Canadian drafts, especially the Canadian depth, the drafts that J.O. has handled as as GM, he's found some absolute gems. Uh, you're finding guys in the third, fourth, and fifth round that are active roster players getting in to playing all the time. When you can find that, and your you know your number one picks and your number two picks are, are regular roster players. You're doing pretty, pretty darn good. Um, all the all the picks that came into camp this year made the roster. The only ones four. that didn't were the ones that went back to went back to school. Yeah, 
and the couple that are in the NFL that are just pipeline picks, maybe. Like, like Hail Mary picks, I guess. Like, yeah. just ridiculous. He's, you don't they, see that. They've made some really good picks in the draft, and the depth of this team is is so improved that I don't think enough people are talking about that right now. And that goes to J.O., to Craig Dickinson. They're being coached up right, right now. They deserve their props right now. We're giving props to the O-line and the players that deserve it, while the guys behind the scenes deserve it right now as well, too. Because this is, you can you can start to see that there's there's something about this team. There's something. I'm not going to say it has 2007 or 2013 feelings, um, but there's something about this team that makes me think that when the playoffs start, they're not going to be an easy out. They are going to be tough to beat, whether it's at Mosaic, whether it's at BC Place, whether it's at IG Field. They're going to be very tough to beat. My favorite thing about the way this roster is, everyone's talking about how good the rider receivers are right now. Technically speaking, the top two receivers on this roster at the beginning of the season aren't playing right now. Walker's gone. Winnikey's a healthy scratch. Yep. That tells you how deep this roster is right now. And Lenius is hurt. <laughs> I, It's an embarrassment of riches right now. I have no idea how to describe this team. You know, speaking of draft picks and guys that are hurt, I have to I have to do a mea culpa here. I owe Ryder Nation a huge apology. Um, partway through the, I think it was the second quarter, I I made a reference to Furlan saying, you know, I've got an old game worn number thirty eight jersey without a name bar on it. I should find out how much it's going to cost to get big Dalky energy on there. Oh my, Steve. And and then we sit down in our chair. And I, I kid you not, it was like within the next five to ten plays, Dalkey's limp- limping off, and Fernand looks at me and calls me an idiot. So, Ryder Nation, mom. this this is my apology to you. Apparently, the jersey curse is not just names on the jersey, but even discussing names on a jersey. So, I am sorry. I hope Dalkey heals up and he's back on the field at Banjo Bowl. But I had to. I had to give that apology. So I am sorry. For the first time ever, Berlin was right. <laughs> um, I hate you. one Steve. One name that you got right about uh, your jerseys, though, was uh, number one Corey Sheets. Um, back in what twenty twelve preseason, you got you got that jersey done up. Um, news coming out that Corey Sheets, Tyrone Brackenridge uh, are among players announced to be in attendance. For the Plaza of Honor Legends Night in uh, in October, um, I guess it's the first of a few announcements of players, uh, dozens of players and and um, staff uh, part of the 2013 team. Uh, Corey Sheets, I'm glad that they're bringing him back because they don't win, they don't get to the Grey Cup without and win it without Corey Sheets. Oh. Um, Rackenridge, that'll be great to have him back. And of course, they announced, you know. Uh, Tristan Jackson, who still lives here, uh, Neil Hughes and Mike McCullough and all, all the local guys, Chris Gatzlaff, Neil, like they're, we know it's going to be a lot of local guys. Um, but I love that they're bringing Corey Sheets. Unfortunately, there was no one, no announcement, at least not yet on number four, Darian Durant. Um, I really hope they can get that. I think they're spacing out the announcements. I think there's going to be a main eventer, as I use air quotes that no one can see except for those watching on TV or YouTube. 
I think there's gonna be a main eventer every time. Probably Rob Vanstone is gonna do an interview like he did with Sheets. So I think I we have to they have to do doubles. They have to get doubles here. Yeah. That said, if I love my team. T Brack was awesome. He's probably my favorite player of that entire team. If you don't bring back Darian Durant for this 2013 celebration, he is never coming back to Saskatchewan. That wow. To Mosaic Stadium. There, I just don't see it as a this is it. This is his one chance to to bury the hatchet, let things let bygones be got bygones and you know get that love that he absolutely deserves from this fan base. But if they can't get him up for this, I can't see a situation where he does. And that would suck because we don't win 2013 without him. That no. BC game is still his shining moment. That I've never seen a guy carry a team on their back quite like he did in the fourth quarter. He willed Literally. that team to victory in the coldest bloody game I remember. He willed that team to victory. Like that was all on him. Well, we'll see if they space out those those announcements over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, we'll see. Uh, I, I hope they can get G right there. Um, I know he'll he'll be busy with the Elks, uh, but I hope they can bring him out because I mean, he had two touchdowns in that in that game, set the tone right off the bat with that first one. Um, so we'll is see that, who they know. Is this, is this for the September fifteenth game that they're doing October this? October seventh. No. Oh, okay. It's I was gonna say if it's the September fifteenth game, he, that'd be perfect for him. He'd be in town anyways. No, it's the against September Hamilton. 15th is lights out. Yeah. With a seven o'clock kickoff in September. Well, that's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Feshin of Royal Page Regina Realty. That's a long opening kickoff, um, much longer than Brett Lothar's yeah. opening kickoff. Uh, <laughs> let's jump to our Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones. Uh, I just want to make note of the uh, CFL fans fight cancer riders team side football raffle that we have going on all the way through the end of September. Uh, send us a DM. Um, on Facebook, Twitter, or sorry, X, um, wherever, find us. It's one ticket for five bucks, three for 10, 10 for 20, and all the money going towards CFL Fans Fight Cancer event in Hamilton at Grey Cup weekend. Um, so get in on that now. What's Winston doing? <laughs> oh, that's Penelope. She's just rolling oh, on the Penelope. ground. Yeah, she's, she's just... <laughs> She's just doing dog things right now. Um, Living her best life. <laughs> that's right. Uh, let's take a look around the league right now. I'm surprised this happened. And for three years, more swag in the six. Um, Chad Kelly, you hate that. Only. I think Greg might hate that. I, I, I hate you. that worse than let blank cook. I really do. Swag is such a dumb name. I'm saying that again. Swag, swag in the six. Swag Kelly, Chad Kelly re-upping for uh, three more years uh, in Toronto uh, makes him the highest paid player in the league. Um, this is great for the CFL. This is great for the Argos taking advantage of the fact that they're, they were 8-1 and one when they announced this, 9-1 and one now. They're the best team in the league. They're the defending Grey Cup champions. They're getting bigger crowds. Toronto's starting to get into it a little bit more. Um this is absolutely huge. Oh, between this is, this is massive. Between Swag Kelly and AJ Willette, they have two incredibly marketable 
stars right now. I I can't see the downside, although I wonder how that team's going to look when they add on an additional, you know, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars in salary to uh, to the quarterback position. They they might be uh, they might be missing a few key pieces next year, but that's next year's problem. This is a great move for the CFL, a great move for Toronto, and they need to keep him there as long as he is playing as well as he is. He is a star, and that city needs somebody like him with his confidence and his swagger to to lead that team. And like I told you guys in the DMs when it first happened, CFL contracts are only as good as the paper they're on. Team can back out anytime they want. And same thing with the players now, with the way the CBAs are written up. They can, they can entertain NFL interest. So he can still kick the tires on an NFL contract, but this makes him wonder... Do I take away this guaranteed money that I'm going to get in the CFL to sit on the bench for who knows what? What this does, though, it keeps him out of the USFL, keeps him out of the uh, XFL. This makes him a CFL player, and it's very good for the league, especially Toronto, where you're actually actually starting to see some growth. Like like the, when we had the commissioner on uh, last week talking about your Montreal's, your Vancouver's, your Toronto's, before those were like three red flags, we're actually seeing some actual growth and some roots being put down again. Yeah, great news uh, overall for the CFL. I mean, right now he's the MOP, so you're keeping him around. That's a that's a very good thing. Um, Duke Williams um, tweeting out that's and then so deleting weird. deleting so the tweet weird. saying, "All right, Hamilton." I'm out. Um, Orlando Steinhauer uh, says no. He's just not playing this week. After that, we'll 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 talk to him. We'll figure it out. Um, obviously, he got hurt in the Labor Day loss to to the Argos, but just you know what? It's I'm glad that he's somebody else's problem right now. I I love Duke as a receiver, but the extra stuff after the fact. It, it 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 can be trying, but honestly, win or lose, is Duke Williams going to make a difference in Hamilton right now? Unfortunately, probably not. Like, that's an awful team. Unfortunately, I think they missed their window to make sure his veteran um, uh, guarantee is not there, so they're they're kind of stuck with him. Like, they're not going to save anything if they do get rid of him anyway. To, to me, this is such an odd situation, but then you look back to his behavior here, both with the with the uh, the touchdown Atlantic game. And if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, was he one of the players that left town early at the end at the end of last season when things went to went to crap? I know we had a bunch of players that or a handful of players that that left town that just they were done. They were they were remember. injured. They walked out of town. I don't, I don't remember. They, I don't remember this. I, yeah. So I mean, but you, you look just at a situation with the touchdown Atlantic, throwing the helmet, spitting, all of this stuff. Two three years ago, his talent was enough that you could put up with the shenanigans. He's not that guy anymore, and I don't know what's changed over the last year and a half. Because you look at the guy that came back from the NFL signed with the Riders in 2021 at the end of the season 
He was a difference maker. And then 2022 hit, and he was almost an afterthought to the point that the riders were, were happy to let him walk. It's to, to me, Hamilton doesn't need him, and they don't need the, the shenanigans that go with it. And this whole situation was just beyond strange. But what, do you, what else do you expect? Um, and we'll take a look in the uh, CJFL as well right now with the uh, Regina Thunder, Saskatoon Hilltops. They're playing this Saturday, uh, 7 p.m. at Mosaic Stadium. So it'll be after the Boundary Bowl, after you guys watch that. Uh, head on out to Mosaic. Uh, check out this gang. Uh, Greg, uh, there's a promotion going on for kids. Yes, uh, any any kid in their uh, minor football or flag jersey gets in for free. Uh, parents, nice. uh, guardians has to uh, pay for it. We, we want to pack the stadium. Um, it's two undefeated teams. Like this, this is you thought the Riders and the Bombers have a <laughs> rivalry. The Hilltops and the Thunder. There's no there's no love there. I, I can guarantee you that. And they've had some really good games over the last few years. It. Uh, nuts. Uh, Isaiah Woodley, who's on the uh, uh, Riders practice roster right now, uh, two years ago, took a bubble screen for 40 yards to the house to, for the Thunder to win the game in the final minute. Like it ridiculously good games. And it's so much fun at Mosaic. It, it adds a little. I love Libel Field, but it adds a little bit to have it at Mosaic. So go check out uh, that game on Saturday night. Should be uh, hopefully decent weather for it. And uh, take the family out there. Get your get your kid in for free wearing a football their football jersey. So uh, get as many people as there as we can. That's that's good stuff. Um, all right, let's take a look at the banjo bowl. Before we talk about the game itself, we got to reminisce a little bit. We did that about, about the Labor Day Classic, two thousand seven, and Rocky Butler and all that. Do you guys have a favorite banjo bowl? A favorite moment or or game? Because um, I have one I've never seen jump out to me. I've got one uh, 2009. I, I didn't actually see it. I was it was when I was working up north of North McMurray. Uh, the crew I was on, bunch of rider fans. I was actually running the tack rig at the time on a pipeline, and so I had the game on my uh, Palm Trio at the time. The first one of the first smartphones. So I had uh, 620 on. And I told him every time I honk the horn, the riders got a touchdown. That's a lot of honking. honking. My horn. That was a lot of honking, especially like when they we got a touchdown and the first turnover and got another touchdown right away. Like it was like guys just thought I was like just spazzing in the cab, which I was, but it was such a good game. Fifty-five to ten, that two thousand nine <laughs> game for the riders. You don't see blowouts for the riders in that game anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> Steve, my my favorite is absolutely the twenty eighteen. If I remember correctly, that was the game that Bomber fans booed uh, mm-hmm. the, the cancer Matt, Matt, PSA. Matt uh, well, uh, sorry, I, I, I've, been, I've been corrected. It was a bullying PSA, I believe. Now, I, I made him irony in that. Yeah, <laughs> right. But, but the the biggest reason I love that one that was the first Banjo Bull bus. Yep, that was a great experience. A set off. We're, we're going again on Saturday, but. To lead off with that game, the Riders' defense played out of their minds. Willie Jefferson, I want to see more like had pick six. I think Sam McGuavin had a hundred-yard pick six. Yeah. Like that defense was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, McGuavin had another game pick like six, that. but 
Willie Jefferson had 100 yards just running around in a circle trying not to cross <laughs> the goal line. Yeah, um, that, yeah, that was fun. That was fun, too. I, I have two. I don't know which one I want to pick because I was on a bus trip for both of them uh, through Ryderville back when they used to do it. Um, the first one that I went on was 2005, and that was the Ryder, That was the second year of the Banjo Bowl, um, of this name of the Banjo Bowl, and it was the first one that the Riders won. I'll never forget Karsten Bailey, Mr. MTV, Karsten Bailey getting uh, the game-winning touchdown for the Riders awful game riders won 1917 like it wasn't an exciting game but the ending was because the riders won uh late with that touchdown but 2008 i'll never forget 2008 still at canada stadium being up in the upper deck and the whole game bomber fans sitting in front of us just turning around and just yelling at us the riders were getting stomped that was with michael bishop in his second start as a rider and the fourth quarter happened, and it was long ball touchdown to uh, Jerron Walker. There was one to Vince Marshall, that big, long rainbow pass to um, uh, Weston Tressler for a big diving touchdown. And then, I, like, oh, I'll never forget that. Those fans in Winnipeg got quiet quick, and they left fast. That was, that was fun. I think that's my favorite Badger Bowl was 2008. Know which one I hate? 2014. Yeah, that one sucked. Even though the Riders won that one. That, that yeah, one they, uh, they won it. Yeah. They, yeah, they hung on to win. That 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 changed that banjo ball changed the entire out outlook of this entire team. Man, they that, were they were they were a better they were a better team in 14 than they were 13. That defense that, in 2014 was on another level. That was unreal. That banjo bowl changed the entire direction of the franchise. Yep. Yep. 100% agreed. Um, this game, the, the banjo bowl is so weird for me to try and predict because it's one of two things. Either the riders seem to win a close game or they just get blown out by like 35 points. And it's just yep. awful being there. And we're sitting there with our banjo bowl bus trip and we're watching the U.S. Open on our phones. Um, At least you're by the Beyond Rum Hut, though. You're by the Rum Hut. That's true. Um, that may have been by design. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to my share of banjo bowls. You got to have drinks nearby. Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll we'll take our picks about whether this is going to be a blowout or keeping it, or if the riders keep it close um, when we do our picks here in just a few minutes. Um, but no Pete Robertson in this game. Um do you guys think that the Riders are going to have issues getting pressure on Kalaros without uh, without Peter Robertson? It's going to hurt, but I'm I'm not that worried. Like they were getting pressure from everywhere. You start throwing in some linebacker blitzes. You start throwing in some DBs. I think the Riders' defense right now they're not 2014 level, but they are definitely starting to find their unit, especially losing a guy like Milligan down, down Robertson. I'm not that worried about it. Dalk, if Dalkey's out, that's going to suck. But Jackson Ford looked really good for a rookie. I'm not as concerned as I would be even like five games ago. I don't, I don't know why I find it funny. You know, Dalkey's hurt, but Jackson looked good as a rookie as if Jaden Dalkey isn't also our, you know, 
second year. Yeah, yeah, two years in, I know, right? Yeah, right. Like he seems like such a grizzled veteran at this point. I I don't think I'm that worried. The the D line has been a strength most of the last half of the season. There was a stretch after those first couple games where they were god awful. But it seems like Shivers has again, just like the offense, Shivers has opened up the playbook a little bit. You're seeing more blitzes, you're seeing stunts, you're seeing that rotation of guys coming through, keeping everybody fresh. You know, I'm not worried about the D-line at all. The defensive tackles have been excellent for the Riders. Micah Johnson's having one hell of a year. Um, The way that, actually, I really loved uh, his sack against Claros last week in the Labor Day game because he grabbed him and he just, I mean, takes a lot of strength to throw a grown man down. He just kind of like, yeah, whatever, just moved him off to the side. He could have absolutely done some damage to Zach on that play. He could have landed on him or something, and he just tossed him down like he was nothing. Um, just goes to show how strong that guy is. It's because to Micah um, Johnson, he is nothing. That, yeah. that dude is, <laughs> might be the most built player I've ever seen play in the CFL. And the yeah. softest spoken. Yes. <laughs> right? Um, he, he's a big, giant teddy bear is what he is, too. Um, he is having a heck of a year. Miles Brown has done really well to Marcus Christmas, Christmas uh, in the middle as well Christmas too. Too, yeah. like they 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 have some good talent at defensive tackle. so uh, as long as that continues, that'll open up the outsides. and if uh, Shivers stays creative with the blitzes, bringing in Moncrief Ford, bringing in Larry Dean and Micah Tights on on blitzes as well too. as long as they stay creative by doing that, yeah i've I have no real worry about that. Um, to me, it comes down to the offensive line um, and how this is going to play out. So no Colin Kelly. So what do you guys do here? You guys play coach this week. Do you keep Logan Furland out at tackle with Logan Bandy at guard? Or do you go back to having the two Americans counsel loft in a tackle and keeping Furland at guard? Maybe Bandy has to start at guard if Evan Johnson is out. And then Zach Fry's the sixth. It's it's going to 100% depend on who your six is. If if Johnson can't go, then you are going to have to use your Americans on the outside, keep Furland, keep Bandy on the inside, and Godber to go. I really like the idea of having four Canadians on that offensive line. If you if Johnson's good to go and you can put Furland to the outside, have Bandy there and Godber, I I like that a lot. But I'm not coach. I, I could totally see them going to two Americans because we're actually not struggling at Canadian depth right now, which, as we discussed earlier, we've done some really good drafting. <laughs> now picture the four Canadians you just mentioned along the O-line, and we haven't talked about it yet, but Philip Blake apparently is coming back. He was at practice today in gear, which I'm pretty sure we all thought he was out for the year up until about yep. a week ago. Yeah, with the torn pack. Like, that's... How the heck is he back practicing already? And and apparently projected to come back soon. Well, and he's eligible to practice this week. He can uh, play next off, week. Yeah, get him off the six-man next week. Yeah. Um, he, what's intriguing about this, though, is that he's actually done a lot of promotional work with the team lately when they've been doing their uh, traveling around here during the bye week. Philip Blake was out there doing that, and that kind of surprised me. Um so that leads me to believe that 
there, there's something there that we might actually see him play again. Maybe it won't be next week. Maybe it's maybe they extend him on the on the injured list a little bit longer just to get him back up to speed uh, in practice. I don't know. Um, but if Philip Lake can come back at some point this year, that's a huge win for the riders. Opens up the flexibility with the ratio, and you can stick him anywhere on the O-line, and he's going to perform. So it won't be this week, but if they can get him back and and we see him at practice throughout the rest of the week, that's a great thing for the riders. We get Philip Blake back before playoffs, regardless if Trevor Harris is ready to go or not. If Dolgalas keeps on his trajectory, he's on. Like it doesn't matter if we end up one, two, or three in the West. You're not kidding. This team is going to be a serious. It's going to be in every game. It doesn't matter who they're playing. <laughs> who would have thought that in the beginning of the season? Who would have thought that three weeks ago? Three weeks ago, we were sitting there call after the Montreal game. Montreal. Oh no, game, we stuck again. Oh no, we this, stuck again. Right, we were writing this team off. We were waiting for Coach Dickinson to get fired. Now I'm seeing talk about an extension. Like, what's happened? But if you get Blake back, and I realize we've kind of jumped the shark on the, on the topic on this, but that just talk about exciting. That's what you want to see is your your team getting healthy going down the stretch. And we're now into the final six. This is the, the last third of the season. This is when you want to be at your best. And we just beat the top two teams in the West. And we're getting guys back. Now, to me, this game comes down to the first half. Winnipeg has been awful in the first half the last few games. Other than those three plays they had in the Labor Day game, they had nothing. The first half against the Elks were horrible. Against Montreal, Zach threw two pick sixes. They were not, I mean, they were able to bounce back each time and score. Uh, on their own after that. But if Winnipeg's bad in the first half again, the riders need to capitalize. They need to take advantage of that. And, I mean, as great as it was having Lothar go five for five and hit a 53-yarder, they need touchdowns, especially in the road game here. If they can get a couple touchdowns and and jump out to a 10, 14-point lead at some point, to me, that's where this game is going to be won for the riders. We saw this, what happens with this fan base in 2018 if things aren't looking hot for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And like you said, the first half has been their Achilles heel. Coach Coach O'Shea is a great coach and a great halftime adjustment maker. We have seen it his entire head coaching career that they can seem to find something at halftime and attack it. But if you can jump out and put the heels to the Bombers early. And if the defense plays like they did in the first half this past week, you get the fans out of that game early. And that's what you need to do. You need to keep Winnipeg's fan base and their their loudest stadium-assisted fans, as Greg likes to call it, out of it. That only bodes well for the future. Because I don't like... The, the, the biggest concern to me is Dolagala's had two games at home. He's now going into about as hostile a territory as a rider quarterback can go into after they beat them. That fan base is going to be pissed off and loud. Get them out of it. That's the key. Jump on them early. 
keep the foot down and capitalize on mistakes. Alex, you're on mute. <laughs> I had to yell at my dog. Sorry about that. Thank you. It's like Zoom 2020 all over again. My first day. Um, yeah, it, and Winnipeg's come out in the second half and and been great. So if you can uh, if you can adjust with them in the second half and kind of just, I mean, they're they're going to score points. I mean, it's going to happen. Um, but if you can control that a little bit more. Um, I think the Riders have a really good chance in this one. So um, let's get to our picks this week then. Um, we'll start off with uh, the game on Friday night, Hamilton at Ottawa, which is a huge game in the East and a huge game for the Calgary Stampeders actually as well too um, and their crossover ambitions. Man, I wish they would have lost to Edmonton. That was, I was so happy. I thought they were, and then Edmonton. That was. It up. I mean, that was a good comeback for, and nobody needed that comeback win more than Jake Mayer. Um, but my anyway. four-game winning streak was looking really good. <laughs> it was halfway through that fourth quarter. It was. Yeah. I I thought I thought I was like holy crap I got one right like I like the tie, Calgary or Calgary versus Ottawa I thought I pulled one out of the thin air but carry on. Yeah, but you know, the, any anytime you play Edmonton, you can always elk out a win, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, I'm telling you right now, the line has not moved on this Hamilton Ottawa game. Okay, so Hamilton at Ottawa, I'm gonna go with uh, Ottawa minus one and a half. Yeah, minus. I'm. You know what? I'm gonna go Hamilton minus one and a half. It is Ottawa, and it's a shop teacher's handful. It's four. Wow. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> I had, to, I had to think that one through for a second. Like, what? Um, yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't think Ottawa should be favored by that four, by four points against anybody, um, even if it is Hamilton. Hamilton has the better record. Um, God, both teams are awful. Ottawa with the points, sure. I I yeah, Ottawa, but it's also Ottawa in Ottawa. You got to put factor that in there. I, I like Hamilton to cover. I I, I think like it's gonna, I, I think it's gonna be a field goal game. I think it's gonna be a field goal game. Hamilton wins outright to me. This is two bad football teams. Everybody's figured out Dustin Crum at this point. It, You've been reading my articles. I I, I may have uh, skimmed the odd one, yes. Unlike <laughs> most people who comment on them before uh, before yelling at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I hope Hamilton wins just to spite Calgary and the crossover. I, I would enjoy no crossover this year. I really would. Um, then we get to triple header Saturday, which I hate. Um, I hate it so much. First game, Montreal at Toronto. Um, I'm going to guess that Toronto is favored by seven. I'm going to say, yeah, seven and a half. Uh, two scores, ten and a half. Ooh. Oh. With an over-under of 51 and a half. Toronto might score 51 and a half points. Um, 
Which Cody Fajardo? Fajardo should... That's what I was about to say. Fajardo's doing Fajardo things right now. He seems to be in yeah. his own head again. I I am all over Toronto on the points on this one. I think when when Fajardo be... is yeah. when Fajardo is in it and feeling good, he is a top three quarterback in this league. When he's not, he is a bottom one quarterback in this league. Um, and that's the way that he's been playing the last couple of weeks. He's been truly, truly awful. Um, I don't know if it'll be 10 and a half, but Toronto wins for sure. It depends on which Cody shows up. Um, 10 and a half is a lot though. Oh yeah. Okay. I'll take Toronto with the points. My, my issue with Cody Fajardo is he thinks he needs to do it all himself. So he forces balls. And you saw that last game. Just throw the ball to Mac. Yeah. So I, I think that 10 and a half is probably very accurate. Yeah. I, I like Toronto in this one. Montreal is not the team they were the first half of the season, save for their, their domination of us a few weeks back. They just don't look the same. Um, we'll do the third game of the triple header next. Uh, the rematch of the battle, battle of Alberta, Calgary at Edmonton. Um, this one moves slightly, just so you know, slightly. Um, I'm going to guess it's probably at Calgary by two. I'm going to know it's Edmonton minus one and a half. Started at Edmonton minus one and a half. It is now Edmonton minus two. Elks are favored. Yeah, home. I'll take the Elks and the points, even at home. Yeah, absolutely. I think they I think finally I, got that monkey off their back. It's it's now they'll, they'll, they can win another one at home. And Trey Ford looks like he's Michael Vick and Madden 04. That run that he had was – that was exactly what I saw. Was I'm like, that was Michael Vick. Um, Suter called him – Doug Flutie, which, okay, ease up with comparisons here. I know, as I say, Michael Vick, right? Yeah. Um, but I never saw well, – Doug Flutie wasn't that fast. <laughs> yeah, he, he um, ran 20 yards back to get it. Like, he was just ridiculous. Like, yeah, that was, that was an incredible run by Trey Ford. He's so much fun to watch. Um, and it bugs me that it took Chris Jones nine games to put him in there. And he's a fantasy that, football cheat code right now. That's what that market needs too. You yes. get fans back in that stadium. Uh, so we're all on Edmonton with the points there. Yeah. Um, it's really it's really interesting to think. Sorry, that their attendance might go down after a win because all those guys that had the the guaranteed win tickets are like, well, I got my five games worth. Yeah, they got to pay for yeah. a ticket now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the other game, obviously the Banjo Bowl, um, Riders at Winnipeg. Um, I think it was at, wasn't it at Winnipeg eight and a half? It is now. I'm not even going to make you guys guess. Yeah. It's started at seven and a half. Money's coming in on Winnipeg. They are minus eight and a half. I don't know. I really don't (laughs) because like I've been saying all episode, this is, this is a game that's either a rider a close rider win traditionally, or it's a bomber blowout. Um, the last couple have been bomber blowouts. I don't think that'll happen again. Um, I, th- I think these teams are a lot closer than what three games away in the standings, two and a half games in the standings. I think these teams are a lot closer to each other than that. 
Um, I'll take the Riders to cover, but Winnipeg wins. I'm taking the Riders with the points. I I think they're going to win outright, but I'm definitely taking the points. And they are my shoe win of the week. And this is the only shoe I had, so. Well, there's our Simpsons reference. This is a reference. I had to make one. Yeah. What are we even doing here? Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to take the Riders. Like my lock. Right. I'm, I'm the homer again. All right. All right. I think the Riders are going to win outright. I, I really do. I think it's going to be on the foot of Brett Lothar. Uh, but yeah, that eight and a half is a big number. And yeah, I understand who the Bombers are and how loud that stadium can be as I've been on the field for a Thunder game before and the warm-ups are loud. That that stadium is built for acoustics. But I think I think if the Riders get up, can get up on the Winnipeg early, they'll neutralize that right away. Yeah, if they take advantage of that, uh, the poor first half showing that Winnipeg's had for a good portion of this year, um, if they can take advantage of it, then then there's a really good chance at a win here for the Riders. I won't be too upset if they lose because I almost expect them to lose every single Banjo Bowl, which is funny because, what is it, 17 and 11 is the record or or something like that. Like it's it's not like Labor Day where it's almost a guaranteed Rider victory, um, except for the last two years coming into this one. Um, it's a fairly evenly matched game so i, I think the bombers I, I think we're in for a good game i really do the bombers currently lead the banjo bowl series 11 to 7 but I'm they've sorry, won 11. six of the last six of the last yeah six of the last seven so prior yeah, to this at, current at, streak at, we actually led the, the banjo bowl series yeah at one point at one point it was actually close and then the bombers just laid licking to us the last couple of years uh, ironically enough, when Darian Durant stopped playing quarterback for the Riders was when it kind of took off the other way. Mm-hmm. Everything changed in that 2014 season. We've yeah. won once since mm-hmm. then. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, Dolagala is probably the guy I want leading this team in this game. Um, even if all three quarterbacks were healthy, he's the one that seems less phased by anything. Um, so I'm really curious because, like you said, he he's played two home games. Now he's getting his uh, his his road game here um, in a really tough environment. I'm looking forward to seeing what he has. This is going to be, I think, it's going to be a good one, and I'm really looking forward to this game. It's going to be a wild one. And then, uh, if you're not on the bus with us, if you're staying at home watching the game here in, or here in Regina, anyway. Go to that uh, Thunder Hilltops game at Mosaic Stadium after the game. I'll be there. And Not throw some the Greg for us. Yeah. Yep. Boo me. I don't care. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us this week here on the Piffles Podcast. Want to thank everybody listening on uh, your podcast platform, whichever one you're using. Of course, if you're watching on YouTube or on Sastel Max TV on demand, thank you very much. Piffles Podcast, of course, brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks, of course, always go out to Kathy Festion of Royal Page Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company for their support making this show possible. 
This is Ghost Behind Your Mind by Tyler Gilbert. <laughs>